0: I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Janelle Wong. Janelle Wong is a board member of the newly launched AAPI Victory Alliance and a professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland. Janelle joins me to discuss the most recent data around anti Asian incidents and hate crimes, particularly how those data have changed during the pandemic. We also dig into the data around gender differences in relation to anti-Asian hate incidents, primarily around how Asian American women report these incidents when compared to how men report similar incidents. Lastly, we talk about the legislative goals of the AAPI Victory Alliance and how they plan to build their organizing power to address many of the findings from the data we discuss in this episode. So here is my conversation with Janelle Wong. Janelle Wong, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to talk about the rise in anti-Asian hate crimes and incidents that we've seen. The recent data that I've seen shows that during the year of the pandemic, I think this was the the data was taken between, I think, March of last year and February of this year. There have been, I think, nearly 4,000 incidents of hate crimes, at least reported hate crimes in comparison to the previous year where there were, I think, 2,600 for the entire year. I don't know if those numbers are correct, but that seems like a significant rise.
1: Yeah, since the start of the pandemic, we have definitely seen from different sources that there has been an increase in reported incidents with uh, racial bias against Asian Americans. But
0: there's also a difference in, in gender, right? In in the way that well, women experience these hate crimes and incidents versus the way that men are experiencing them. And I wanted you to parse through some of that data for me, because one of the things that I had read, and this is probably wrong, and I think there's why there's this gulf in how the media is reporting this incident and what the data actually says. But is it or is not true that women are experiencing or at least they are
1: reporting more incidents than men? Can you help me parse that data? Sure. Yeah, this is, I think, an important point in the current moment of how we understand both race and gender and the violence that is associated with both. So we know that the Atlanta shootings in March, that that was, you know, a white gunman who opened fire on on an Asian-owned spa or Asian-owned spas. And that violence was for sure a function of both race, uh, the women's national origin, and gender those women were in that position because of their gendered occupations, and they were also economically vulnerable. What we're seeing in the reporting to especially hotlines like Stop API Hate is that women are much more likely than men to report incidents of potential racial bias to those hotlines. So about 70% of those reporting to that hotline are, in fact, women. In Other kinds of data collection like surveys, surveys actually ask people broadly whether or not they've experienced an incident and people who have not experienced those incidents are also included in that research. And what we see in survey data is slightly different. We see that both Asian American men and women report uh, similar levels of hate crimes and racialized attacks and other kinds of things like property damage. But in some surveys, men are actually reporting a little bit higher levels of that kind of experience. What really comes through in these data and something that I think is common across all of the different kinds of ways people can collect data is that the way that Asian-American women experience violence is quite different from the way that men do. So we also ask, what do you attribute to this attack or this incident or this hate crime experience? And women are much more likely to name both gender and race as potential motivations. In addition, what we see is that women are much more worried than men about racialized violence. And we see that women are more likely than Asian American men to say that they are reluctant to report a hate crime to law enforcement. So that's why these community hotlines are so important, because they provide an alternative to law enforcement for reporting. At the same time, we need to understand that, you know, sometimes there are differences in the population about who is going to be more comfortable or motivated to report to a hotline in the in the first place. Right. That makes sense to me. So
0: I, it, it sounds like Asian-American women have the same experience around, you know, how they perceive an attack being gender based that a lot of women do, because a lot of women, I think, experience violence differently because it's usually typically gendered, right, gendered violence. So that would make sense to me. I guess what I don't understand, you can help me, is what is the difference in reporting to a hotline versus law enforcement? Are there data to suggest, you know, why women are less likely to to go to law enforcement? And is the same reluctance there for men?
1: Yeah, you know, we also looked at that and there are some differences. So the issues have to do with whether or not women versus men believe that real action will be taken. And so that's part of the explanation. In addition, you know, there's there are fears that there will be either another attack if women report to law enforcement. Enforcement, Or that, um, I mean, there's, there's levels of this for men, too, but it's higher for women or that their family will come under scrutiny. And so these, you know, these are kind of gendered experiences more broadly in society and also affect reporting to law enforcement. And maybe women, we I mean, we haven't done a deep dive into this, but maybe women feel more comfortable then or have more awareness for some reason of a kind of community based hotline. I guess what I was trying
0: to say was that I think men generally, regardless of race, like men generally never report crimes against them or rarely report crimes against them as a gendered crime. Right. Because, you know, crimes against right. men don't really have that kind of element to it, you know. And women mm-hmm. generally regardless of their race it's it's typically or often a gendered crime you know like mm-hmm. sexual assault or you know that, that kind of thing um so that doesn't necessarily surprise me and i was just wondering if there's something more significant in the data around you know anti asian hate crimes right with women specifically because i know that the atlanta shooter it was a gendered
1: crime right and it was you know he was just charged with a hate crime the other day um you will notice in coverage of that um of the charges that the Atlanta shooter, it's based on both race and gender. So the prosecutor um, actually mentions gender as one of the specific reasons a hate crime is being evoked here.
0: Yeah. You know, so the Atlanta shooter, spa shooter, I remember when reports were coming out soon after the shooting happened, There was a debate online about whether this was actually a hate crime or not because of his stated motive. But I think that that speaks to kind of the oversimplification of crimes like this. You know, I was thinking about Kate Mann's book, you know, Down Girl and how people misconstrue what misogyny actually means. You know, it isn't just kind of an oversimplified hatred of women, but it looks different in a lot of, you know, in a lot of circumstances in a lot of contexts, right? And, you know, clearly hate crime is the right crime for him to be charged with in this case.
1: Yeah, you know, I think that this it's, it's it is very complicated um and I think there's you know there are really important reasons to think about this moment of anti-asian violence in connection to what um, is a long history of racialized violence in this country so before I get to that I think it is important to say that the hate crime charges are um, that have been brought against the Atlanta shooter do also charge with, as a gendered hate crime. So I really um, credit organizations on the ground in Atlanta for pushing the intersectional analysis of that horrific incident, that it was both racialized violence and gendered violence, and it also had to do with economic vulnerabilities. And, you know, I think that kind of different from the past, there are these more robust organizational efforts to shape this more complex narrative around this kind of violence. The other thing that is really critical is that, you know, our data show that Asian Americans are not alone in experiencing racialized violence in this moment. And so the group that's most likely to report a hate crime are Black Americans. And that should be no surprise in some ways, given, you know, the history of this country and the ways in which violence has been used against Black Americans. So what we see is that Black Americans are more likely to report a hate crime. That means that you know all all groups of color are actually reporting upwards of thirty to forty percent um, having experienced a hate crime over the course of their life. But we also see that in twenty twenty one, just the first few months of. Uh, This year, we have seen a convergence of the levels of hate crime. So all groups of color are actually reporting about 10% of um, about 10% of those groups are experiencing hate crimes. And, you know, I think it's important for just the overall understanding of what's happening right now is that these incidents against Asian Americans are happening in this much broader context of racialized violence. Um we need to I think respond in a way that addresses both anti-Asian sentiment, the gendered aspects of that, but also addresses racialized violence more generally. And so it's it's not, you know, lost on many people that this violence is unfolding at the exact same time that we're seeing the trial around George Floyd's murder and that, you know, incident after incident of police violence is occurring. And our data also speak to that. So we see that racism works very differently across different communities. And while Asian Americans were the most likely to report microaggressions steeped in long histories, you know, related to being assumed to be a foreigner or not speaking English that black americans were more likely to experience police misconduct or to have a teacher, for instance, discourage them from continuing their education. On the other hand, Asian-Americans were the least likely racial group to experience that kind of bias in society.
0: Right, I found that really interesting. And actually I'll put a link to the data in the show notes because I think some of the data that you parse out, you show that, like you said, like with police violence, I think Asian Americans were less likely to report incidents with police interactions versus, you know, African Americans, Black Americans and Latino Americans. So it's really interesting data to kind of look through and see the differences and how people experience, you know, generally like racism in this country.
1: Yeah, I I mean, this is one of the things that I think is also important in terms of the narrative of this moment that Asian Americans are experiencing high levels of you know, street violence that's happening actually across communities of color to some extent, um, not getting as much attention, but that Asian Americans are also not facing certain kinds of discrimination that have been really endemic in this country. And so I think it's really an important conversation for Asian Americans to have ourselves, which is, you know, what is our role in confronting this kind of violence? What are we going to do to kind of, both you know defend our own communities but also defend other communities who are experiencing very similar and sometimes much more intense forms of racial discrimination racialized violence
0: yeah and you you remind me of another piece of data that was there around housing like asian americans experienced less or they reported experiencing less bias in in housing like seeking you know mortgages or housing versus other groups other ethnic groups in the in the data
1: yeah there's this long history of racial segregation in the US and that is why i think understanding that history and how we all got to be where we are in this kind of terrible moment is so critical so our data show that while all groups experience some degree of housing discrimination that asian americans experience far less than other groups and that you know that just contributes to the structural inequalities that that really plague our nation. And so Asian Americans, you know, in some of these areas, while racialized, don't experience the same degree of of really structural blocks that other groups do. And it's interesting, we actually disaggregated our Asian American sample so that we can see, you know, are some groups faring worse than others when it comes to, let's say, a landlord or renter refusing to sell or rent to you. And there's even when we do that, while there are variations among Asian Americans, uh, Asian Americans are still far less likely to face that kind of housing discrimination compared to black, Latinx and even Native Americans and Pacific Islanders to some extent.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the pieces of data that I wanted to point out, you know, related to the pandemic was the fact that I think people understand by now that women generally across all racial groups have experienced the economic fallout from the pandemic more than more than men, right? But Asian American women, they're in certain fields that were hit hardest during the pandemic that I think the unemployment rates for Asian American women or Asian, Asian Americans generally Is
1: doubled what it is normally. That's right. There had been this um, kind of moment of interesting convergence where uh, Asian American and white Americans were showing a lot of parity in economic indicators, employment rates, um, occupational security, mobility. And then the pandemic hit and we really saw a kind of breaking away again of Asian workers versus white workers. And that isn't to say, you know, I think... It is still the case, and this is important, that Black, Latinx, Native workers have been hit much harder than Asian-Americans. But we're starting to see this gap between white and Asian workers. And that is um, partly a function of the major economic polarization within the Asian-American community. So while Asian-Americans as a whole are more um, economically secure in some ways in terms of income um, in some terms of education than white workers, we also see that within the Asian American community, and this was so underscored by the Atlanta shooting, that there are um, major swaths of economic insecurity and vulnerability. And so, you know, that's why we see that the Asian American poverty rate, is higher than the white poverty rate. And those things can exist simultaneously, right? There's there's sort of great advantage in certain sectors of our economy for Asian American workers. And there are also these real um, persistent inequalities. And that's why we see so many Asian American workers, and as you say, women who are working on the front lines, who are working throughout the pandemic in close contact with other people. And so, you know, there's these complexities to the community that are really um, papered over if we just look at aggregate statistics. One of the things that, you know, I think our research really helps to elucidate is that even though the initial blame for the pandemic was, you know, really focused on China and the, and the terminology around it by President Trump and others were focused on China, the scapegoating did not just affect Chinese in the U.S. And so this is a way in which we can understand, I think, how the Asian-American community is constructed. We are kind of tied together by these shared experiences of racism and scapegoating. And so right after the pandemic started and those terms started to be used, we had done a survey and it showed that Indian Americans were the most worried about COVID-related harassment, hate crimes. And that makes sense, right? After 9-11, then many South Asian Americans were attacked, were subject to the same kind of charges of being disloyal, of um, being foreign because of mainly Islamophobia. And so there's this intimacy with the South Asian population related to kind of foreign policy and how it can affect the Asian American community. And then what we saw after, um, as the pandemic rolled on, is that many Asian Americans outside of the Chinese American community have been subject to various kinds of Um, hostilities. And that ranges from people who are Southeast Asian, Vietnamese, Cambodian. One of the most horrific attacks was a Burmese family in Texas. And so, you know, I think this is also not only a kind of recognition that people have um, about the long history and current manifestation of anti-Asian violence in the U.S., but also how it affects all Asian Americans, partly because this is still the case that people don't make those distinctions between different asian national origin groups and while that can be problematic it is also a basis for solidarity
0: right you know i think what i'm hearing is i mean i think we all understand that all non-white white white groups you know all racial groups in america were you know targets due to the the last administration's rhetoric right i mean beginning with the campaign the pandemic exacerbated that but i think the thing that's surprising to me is that you know specifically due to the pandemic you know, there's lots of terms used to you know put the focus on you know asian americans But all racial groups experience an uptick Mm-hmm. And, and violence and reports of hate crimes after the pandemic. Although, you know, he specifically, the last ministry specifically targeted Asian-Americans or pointed the finger at Asian-Americans. And I don't really know if I understand that, if they were just like, it's just generally racism in America. You know, any ethnic group, any non-white group was going to be a target just because that was just the nature of the administration. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, no, I so anti-Asian violence is pretty cyclical. It is both cyclical in the attention it gets And it's level, but there's an undercurrent of anti-Asian violence that is kind of always there. So our survey data show that even before the pandemic, there were, um, you know, pretty steady, like the levels of reported discrimination have been pretty steady over the course of the pandemic. We haven't seen like an uptick in the last three months of actual like experiences necessarily. But what we do see is the kind of racial tensions and racial blame that occurred over you know, the last presidential administration did, as you say, affect all groups in different ways. And so while media attention is on anti-Asian violence to some extent now, you know, we also see this real kind of backlash to Black Lives Matter and many incidents of more state-sanctioned killings. So police officers, there's still you know obviously the uh, an endemic problem with police violence against especially black communities including black women and more recently i've been thinking you know partly why asian americans have been targeted is because of their racial status but also because of their immigrant status right because these are kind of vulnerable communities when you think about people who are immigrant workers on the front lines immigrants who are you know shop owners and whose businesses are being vandalized and That is something that really does tie in, I think, to the more anti-immigrant rhetoric that was issued by Trump. And, you know, I'll just put in a plug for one of the hats I wear, which is the AAPI Victory Alliance. We are a group that really has tried to both lift up these Asian American experiences and attention to the discrimination Asian Americans face and really try to push towards political representation as a potential answer. And that also means working with other non-white groups, because as you can see from these data, the kind of experiences we have are both very uh, connected, but manifest themselves in different ways.
0: Right. So so I'm glad you mentioned the Victory Alliance, because I'm curious about, you know, what your or your goal is if you're thinking about, you know, coming up with a set of policy proposals. I know that the you know the COVID nineteen hate crimes act just passed, right? Just passed through through Congress. You know, but, but what is the the focus? What are the goals for the Victory Alliance in relation to legislation?
1: Yeah, so there's the the Victory Alliance is really focused on having an influence on the policy debate. And that means bringing the kind of data that I discussed, which is really not, that, that data is from another organization I work with called API Data in conjunction with SurveyMonkey. But the Victory Alliance is made up of people who were very deeply involved in um, the White House initiative on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders during the Obama administration, who continue to have a deep interest in public policy, but are looking for ways to kind of consolidate some issue priorities. And so one of the things that I think is is not being talked about as much today, but I think is still critical for understanding the future is that while Asian Americans are so internally different, um, and that is one of the hallmarks of the community, this kind of internal diversity, there are some real experiences that hold them together. And one of those is discrimination. But there are also policy views that really distinguish Asian Americans from other Americans. And those are sometimes surprising to people. So, Asian Americans are more likely to have supported um, the ACA or what's commonly called Obamacare than the rest of the US. They are more pro gun control than um, the, the US population more generally. And they are more likely to call themselves environmentalists and support government regulation to address climate change. And maybe most surprisingly, they are very um, strongly in support of taxing the rich to provide a middle class tax cut. And so even though we have this really diverse community with people having so many different cultural backgrounds, histories, and languages there are still some ways in which we're starting to see a kind of progressive Asian American agenda develop and that's what the Victory Alliance is intent on lifting up
0: is there more room for you know a multiracial coalition right because these are these are issues that intersect across a lot of different races we've talked about right
1: yeah you know that's really what i think most of our data and research points to is that Asian Americans are still 4% of the U.S. electorate, right? We cannot go it alone. And we have quite a kind of robust set of overlapping interests with other people of color and other progressive groups in some ways. And so you see this potential for a very strong role for Asian-Americans in the broader multiracial coalition. But it's really, I think, also up to Asian-Americans to step up, to be in solidarity across these different issues. And so not just getting active when um, the violence is seen to be attached to us, but also to get involved in so many of these other areas where we are you know we we are also touched by the discrimination that so many other communities experience and so i think you have it exactly right that there's there's a way in which this current moment is pointing towards multiracial coalition building and in fact there's no way forward without it because we certainly can't go it alone you know in in the kind of demographic position we're in and even in the kind of racial position that we we occupy in this country. It's super complex, um, but we have to find a way forward.
0: Well, Janelle Wong, thank you so much for for joining me. Um, and thank you so much for pulling this data together. I'll include all of the notes in, in, you know, in the show notes or the links in the show notes to the data. But thank
1: you so much for all of your work. Really appreciate the time.